Richard Patrick, the vocalist for Filter, will be our guest on the Goldmine Magazine podcast. This is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine. And Richard Patrick will talk about the 20th anniversary issue of Filter's title of record. It's been out for the last month, and it's on Craft Recordings, CD and LP, and also Digito. However, it's uncertain if Filter will get back together soon, if Richard and guitarist programmer Brian Lissagang will be making music again soon. There was a, a rumor that they would, but right now is uncertain. But Richard Patrick is still making music, and he's excited to release this 20, 20th anniversary reissue of Title of Record. We'll be back with Richard after this message. Hey, I'm Ronald Webb, and this is Patrick Prince. And together we host the Goldmine Radio Hour, the show that features the latest issue of Goldmine, the music collector's magazine. Tune in Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CygnusRadio.com. So how you doing, man? I, um, I'm doing good. Yeah. We well, th- start thanks, Richard, for being on the podcast, man. Um, so the 20th anniversary reissue of Filter, the first time on vinyl. That's I like that right there. Um, I didn't even know it was never put on vinyl. Yeah, I. You know the the, the funny thing about vinyl is you you can't you can't have a lot of low end. Right. Um. You know you have to spin the records really fast, so it's like you don't get one record you have to give two records so it's like extremely costly and to be honest with you the sound quality from a cd or from a like a wave file is a hundred percent absolutely better right because you have frequencies that go down to like you know the the you know the noise floor is like the hum of the atoms whirling around the air like you know what i mean like and then you know it's like whales can only hear it you know low end and then high end it's like you know insects can't you know can hear it so it's um you're getting the best quality period from you know cds but people are nostalgic for for vinyl so the whole thing just really trips me out i i like big artwork too but I know for a fact, you know, having been dealing with digital for almost my whole career, well, pretty much my whole career, that the digital signal is better by the time it gets. Now, I use analog during. You oh, know, you do? Okay. So, you, you, you know, we'll, 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 we'll track, we'll print everything to analog. But the analog from that, you know, from the two inch tape or or from the uh, quarter inch tape that you use for mastering or the half inch tape, that stuff gets digitized and then it's fun. It's there forever. You know what I mean? On a CD. So I'm still like CDs technically sound the best. Mm-hmm. MP3s are getting there. Um, but wave files are the, are the, that's the best version of, of, of what music could be like those, the higher. Yeah. It's like, you know, 60 megabytes or whatever you know uh, you know a song is like it's a lot and your phone might not be able to download it right away but the newer iphones can download it but yeah it's really big but it sounds beefier and it sounds it 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 it, it, you know it 
it, uh, it, it carries the low end that all those guys have. I think for me, I, I was after the MP3 revolution or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, I would download MP3s of new bands and not even know who was in this band, man. Because on vinyl or CDs, you got all the oh, information. Yeah. And I think it was a little bit of a backlash, you know, with going back to vinyl. CDs are still alive, of course. But uh, I enjoy mostly the used vinyl. You know, when I was a kid, I saved all my albums. So it's a nostalgic thing, too. Um, during the 90s, of course, when you guys were at your, you know, you were the most popular, vinyl wasn't even being made. So um, yeah. the fact that well, it would come out on vinyl is something very unique. So my, my attitude when I was a kid was my brother Robert insisted that I listen to The Clash and all his music. <laughs> and I was like 10 or 11. But he said, if you use my records, you got to make sure they're clean. <laughs> yeah. And so he would listen. He would he would be very, very like this got a scratch, <laughs> you know, like he, he, he would. He would just use it as another means of torture, you know, <laughs> and I mean that sarcastically, but it was horrifying to like get a scratch on one of his records. So when I got a CD player and, you know, I could pretty much take care of those. And then I was like, wait a minute, you just skip by pressing the forward button, right. you know, like, holy shit, you don't have to pick up the needle. You can just put it fuck you know and like and for me it was just like fuck vinyl that it was a pain in the ass you had to get your needle looked at you had to make sure your needle was clean you had to make sure your needle was you know the right size you had to make sure the weight was right and you had to do all this extra shit for the music listener that i was i was like you know i was like hello cds man <laughs> and then when i got like my favorite records mm -hmm. on cd and heard the low end and heard the power and the intent behind the mastering and how clear and amazing it was, that just meant that I could turn it up louder. You know, because I listened to shit and I, my poor mom and dad, I feel so bad for them. But I had two 15 inch subwoofers that my dad gave me. He's like, here, I got a new stereo. He was so into music and film. That he's like, he's like, here, these are realistic speakers. And like, he put him down in my basement and I was listening to everything. And then I was like, wait a minute, I can crank this shit because there's, it's not going to skip a needle somewhere. It's just going to accept it. Right. And I just cranked it so fucking loud. And I'd skip, by the time I was like 18, it was like skinny puppy and ministry and just all this like, you know, fuck, you know. Twilight, last gleaming, rotting in your flesh, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, fuck, it was so amazing. I was so ready for the digital revolution. And then, you know, and then in recording, it was like, I can just take a gigabyte hard drive and I can go and record the basic stuff by myself where no one's, and me and Brian would just be like, we, 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 we got the record company to buy us a gigabyte hard drive and it shows up and it's this big fucking thing and we're scared of it. It's like the monkeys seeing the, 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 uh, the monolith in, 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 uh, in, in, in Space Odyssey, 2001 Space Odyssey. 
you know, and the monkey, like, that's how we were with the gigabyte. We were like, the gigabyte's here, the gigabyte's here, what are we going to do? You know, and um, so, yeah, it was fun. But yeah, we started, I started manipulating uh, sounds with Brian back, you know, on Short Bus, like, just like, hey, what right. does this sound like if you just drop it down an octave and, and reverse it? Holy shit, it's crazy. You know, and that's how a lot of those sounds were created on Short Bus. And then for Tidal, you know, it was more like, okay, let's be more of a band. Let's, because mm. I had toured for a year and a half and um, I really wanted drums. Like, I really was like, what is it? I, I kept telling, like, when we started working with Steve Gillis, I would just tell Steve, like, dude, I can program safe. You know, I can program fucking, you know, safe. I right. need you to think of Heath Moon and I need <laughs> you to fucking play. That's just and it. Unpredictable, it, sort of. You know what I mean? The human element. Unpredictable and just fucking intense. You know, right. just always overplaying and fuck you and ah, you know, and and drunk. And, you know, not that Steve would drink, but like the the spirit of, of filter that I've always I've always loved so much in the early days was the drunkenness, the mm. just the fuck you attitude. Like, you know, recording bass through a zoom and being like, fuck you amplifier. Fuck you. You know, like, <laughs> like record like a little zoom 90, 30 or 90, 60. It's like you plug it in. It's like, it's got a great DI sound. So you're like, Holy shit. You know, like, like we don't need to mic a cabinet. I don't know anything about mic and cabinets. Great. Like we were all about cheating. You know, Trent taught me that Trent mm. Reznor taught me that like fucking, you know, you don't need to mic an amp. Use that GK. It's got a great direct out. Okay. You know, great idea. Fuck the fucking cabinets, you know, <laughs> you know, amp cabinets, you know. <laughs> and um, but I love that. I, I I love that about filter. And that's the that's the thing. But the title of record was when I was like, OK, um, I, I I feel like we we're 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 OK with ourselves enough to experiment with like cello and and we had world uh, instruments show up. We had a world beat player i can't remember his name but he um he played on uh, take a picture and it was very like earthy and mm -hmm. there was a lot of microphones and you know i told steve gillis like please just overplay just you know and he did such an amazing job on that record and my favorite song of of his is is it's gonna kill me because he's just like you know, like it just fills you cannot program. Well, you made a remark. Honestly, that Steve Gillis is the it, Steve Gillis was the other guy that I really, really missed working with after after uh, I moved to L.A. Now, you made a remark that you thought uh, the album was more radio friendly. I think you used the word radio friendly than short bus. But I see it as yeah. just as poignant, just as angry, just as in your face. Um, well, yeah, I mean, there was. Well, it was there was a lot of time spent on like Miss Blue, mm -hmm. like like there was a guy at the record company who was like really hyped. He was like, this could be big, but you're not there yet. And I'm like, that's not going to be big. That song is definitely not going to be big. That song is a personal love letter to my girlfriend, who was a secret at the time. Uh, but it was for Darcy Retsky. Right. Um, and. You know, so but. I was worried towards the tail end of like recording, like, holy fuck, is this hard enough? Like I've spent so much time, take a picture, 
you know, it's going to kill me, um, skinny, you know, a lot of songs where I'm like, so here you are in your small little world. You know, that was all new vocals for my audience. You know, mm -hmm. they were used to, you know, I wish I would have met, you know, they were, they were used to that kind of stuff. Right. So I had to kind of, I was learning a little bit more how to sing and I'd spent so much time on it that like, I was like, holy shit. So I took my amplifiers. I took all the amplifiers. We had tons of amplifiers uh, there and I had stacks. I had like nine stacks of Marshalls and Mesa boogies, Mesa boogies. And I plugged my guitar into it and I detuned it to A-A-D-G-B-E. So I, I got in there in the studio and I started working on um, what would become to be known as Welcome to the Fold. And that mm. was just, that was written in like 15 minutes. Really? Surrounded by amplifiers playing as loud as I possibly could. Right. Deafening volume. And I had it tuned to A-A-D-G-B-E. And... Um, it was uh, it was just really fun. And I was like, this isn't going to be a single, but it felt great, you know, because I was. I mean, you know, I was hanging out with Billy Corgan and he was like, you know, listen, go out there and have a hit, you know, go out there and write something that like, you know, can can sit next to all these other people that are, you know, out there on radio. And I was like, all right. And so I wrote Take a Picture and I knew that was going to be a radio single. Um, but the rest of the record was like mine. Like that's like, I love take a picture because it was, it was such a departure and our record company was like, what? <laughs> like they were like, you're going to piss off all your heavy metal fans, which is true. <laughs> Cause the heavy metal fans were like, what? This yeah. is the exact quote. One of my friends said filter went gay. Oh my God. When they heard take a picture, they were like filter went gay. And I'm like, but that song is so personal and intense, man. No, I know. But it's got some killer that's... lines in there. Oh no, totally. I'm still to this day. I'm I absolutely the most happiest I've ever been, you know, mm. when I wrote that song and, and it was so, it was so such a revealing song and it was so personal. And that's the thing people don't get. Like if I truly wanted to have like a hit, I wouldn't talk about my dad. I wouldn't mm -hmm. talk about like being drunk on an airplane, right? You know, and and, and naked, you know, and, and doing all the crazy shit that I used to do, mm. you know. You know, I don't believe in your sanctity or your privacy. That's not universal. No. That's myopically pointed at one, you know, set of people that are, you know, it's like people with my lyrics were like, "What's he talking about? I don't know," but he's he means it, you know. They were like that at the time, but. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't something that I intended to do, but I was like, well, at least I got that done. Like, I was like, well, I didn't intend for take a picture to be a hit, but I know in my heart, that's a hit song. Is it, is it hard to perform that now considering how Not personal it was? Not at all. Well, for, you know, for after I went to, you know, rehab and even when I was singing it to my parents on the tour, the family values tour and stuff like that, I was singing to my dad, like, Hey, dad. you know, I was looking at him and waving and yeah. my dad beat cancer. My dad beat prostate cancer. Right. And I, I, um, cried, you know, Hey dad, my dad's a cancer survivor. And I would start crying. Um, but like, you know, the song has a totally new meaning to me my father did pass away um and and i was singing at this christmas event 
And lo and behold, it was the it was the you know it was the Alice Cooper's like Christmas uh, thing that he does in Phoenix every year for his um, after school um, kids uh, teens program that he has out there. Um, but he has this big benefit and Slash and Rod Halford and you know Ace Freely and all these people were there. And it dawned on me, I'm like, this song is about my dad who died a year ago today. And like, you know, like, and it hit me. And by the time I got to the Hey Dad part, I was bawling. And, you Mm -hmm. know, the crowd was really like, holy shit. They were very affected and people were crying. And then I was like, listen, thank you for, I just realized my dad died, you know, a year ago tonight. And I'm singing the song about him and it's got a whole new meaning. So that's what I love about music. It takes on a whole new meaning, you know. It does. And that's, honestly, like, you know, I go back to listen to records that I had when I was a kid, like Neil Diamond. Mm. You know, my dad cranked Neil Diamond. And so I'm a four-year-old kid listening to Hot August Nights. And I'm like, damn, this shit still holds up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. now I listen to like, this shit still holds up. Good job, you. You know, yeah. but it's so intensely personal. And that's why I love music, because it's it the earworm factor. Yep. And every time you hear it, like you said, it can mean something different, even though it's timeless. Um, It's pretty interesting because a lot of bands, you know, critics give bands, you know, hell for staying together, which is odd to me. Like The Who or, you know, The Rolling Stones. They should. I don't understand it. Yeah. They should be happy. I mean. You know what? David Bowie's dead. Yeah. You know, Chester Bennington is dead. Chris Cornell is dead. Like, you better get out there and fucking see the bands you love. Because people are dying. You know what I mean? Like, life is showing up. Cancer is showing up. Alcoholism is showing up. And it's like, if you really love your bands and you want to hang out with them, then you better get off your butt. Because it's real. Life is here. It's, it's, you know, music is going. It's, 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 people are dying. It's tough. Now you said when you recorded this album, well, I guess you weren't in a great emotional, you weren't in a good place emotionally, but you also thought that this record, even though it almost killed you, is probably your signature album. I think so. And it's the, it's the record that like, I listened to it and I'm like, it's just when everything made sense, you know? I mean, shout out to Gino Leonardo. He shows up at the studio. He's like, Rich, what's it going to take to like, like get on the record? And I said, just give me a song. And and if it's awesome, we'll use it. He's played this song to me. I'm like, this shit rocks. And I'm like, okay, bring you over your, your, your hard drive. And let's, let's start re replaying everything. And then a day later it was completed, hmm. you know? And it was his, like, he was like so happy. And I'm like, Hey dude, you brought it. Yeah. You know, that's like one of those moments in life where he was just like, really? I'm like, yeah, this isn't up to me. This is up to like, is it awesome? Is it awesome? You have to have a certain amount of like skepticism. But, you know, if you keep your standards high, hopefully everybody else will understand what you're going for. You know, go back to a minute where you said the heavy metal fans. It's weird because I've heard you guys described as industrial, heavy metal, alternative and I it mean, almost do you guys honestly, transcend it's, it's, that it's filter right you know and the, the biggest criticism was that filter doesn't know who they are or filter <laughs> no filter's music 
because music for the schizophrenic and well, it, that, music for the bipolar. And yeah. I'm like, but don't, doesn't everybody else have bad days? And doesn't everybody else have good days? And, you know, I was getting, I was getting kind of lectured by a record company executive, you know, and he, he brought up this band and he's like, look, this band does this, mm. they're heavy metal. They put out the same thing. They know exactly what they're doing. They're aiming right for this one market. And that's what they're fucking doing. And I'm like, I never cared about that shit. I don't care about releasing a fucking like, okay, let's just air quotes, heavy metal. Record. Right. You know, I was never into like the genre. My, all of my favorite bands were bands that bucked that shit. Yeah. The Clash. You listen to a Clash record. One minute it's reggae. The next minute it's hip hop. The next minute it's like punk. Mm -hmm. The next minute it's it's like uh, ska. Right. You know, they did. They were like, we don't care. We're just doing what we want to do. <laughs> Fuck off. I. That's know? when music yeah. is at its best. I think when it's yeah. Like that. So know? I. Because if you go into the studio thinking, okay, I'm gonna make a metal record, usually that's when it comes out at its worst. You know. Well, amalgamate. Amalgamut's big, like big single that should have been released like starters was was the only way is the wrong way. Mm. That should have been just the first thing, and or or you walk away should have been first, and then like, but um, the only way is the wrong way would have been the big follow up to take a picture, and that would have been a massive hit. But the problem is, is that people from the massive hit world, the pop world or whatever that is, are showing up and they're being bludgeoned by fucking welcome to the fold. And like they see the take a picture video and they're like, oh, OK, cool. This is like, you know, this is like you two or something. I'm going to go see. Oh, my God. They're <laughs> fucking plugged into heavy amplified like they're plugged into Marshalls, you know, so. I mean, I, 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 I threw him for a loop. I figured everybody is as eclectic as, um, as I was. Right. You know, and, and, and as the clash was the alternative, you know, market for me, the alternative thing was like, that fits modern music, mm. like that modern alternative, you know, modern rock. That's what I figured it was. Right. And modern rock can be anything, you know, it's can be, you know, look at the Deftones, you right. know, look at, you know, such. You know, but, you know, in their defense, they're like, well, Rich, yeah, the Deftones always sound like the Deftones. You know, one minute you come out and you're like, you know, you know, like this guy who's fucking super pissed and it's Columbine or it's or it's, you know, and, and then the next thing, you know, you're doing the only way is the wrong way. It's like this. And then the, by the end of uh, the record, I started this new thing where I was just doing like ambient tracks, mm. <laughs> you know, like uh, <laughs> like. Like at the end of at the end of uh, the amalgamate, it was it right. was it was it was the fourth, you know. It was like the fourth, you know. Which is what was, you know. Hey, I mean, a classic band like Pink Floyd did. You know, uh, they had a yeah. lot of ambient tracks, and they went back and forth. And but I but see, you got to realize, even at that early stage in my life, and I was only like twelve, I was already like you know forming a, an alliance with like the cure and right. in my heart my heart was forming the alliance of like you know you know 
the, the clash. I mean, I was listening to the clash almost a hundred percent. So you and si- so the you- reason, and the reason why is my brother, Robert goes, kiss is a bunch of corporate bullshit. <laughs> and he fucking like, and he like fucking threw the record across the room and smashed it. And then he's like, this is the fucking clash. And he's like, look, they got this song called, uh, they got this song called guns of Brixton. And I'm, or, you know, it, was, it wasn't Guns of Brixton. It was like London Calling. And I'm like, London, like London, England, like London. And he's like, yeah, they're from England, mate. And they talk like this. And he's like, fuck. And that's what you're listening to from now on. I'm 10, <laughs> you know, and, and, and essentially the Terminator is pressing his face and this record into my head and going, you're going to listen to this shit. You understand, pussy? <laughs> you know, <laughs> You know, you know my brother Robert's the Terminator, right? Terminator. He was the T two. <laughs> I didn't you know. know right? uh, actually, no, I didn't. That's my brother. Oh my god! The actual, the actor Robert Patrick. That's fantastic! I never knew that. Yeah. So the, essentially, that character is sticking his face into my <laughs> into my head, going, hey, "Fucking listen to this pussy." You know, <laughs> I'm ten. I'm like ah. But hey, you guys got you guys got on a lot of soundtracks as well, Filter. Um, yeah, which is you know not not every band does that, but you you've done it successfully. Yeah, and I'm trying to tour. I'm trying to turn that whole thing into my mm. scoring thing because I like hanging out with my kids. And scoring is the other aspect of my life that I never really thought, but I got an opportunity to do it, so I jumped in feet first, and I did the movie. Um, dark crimes for Jim Carrey mm-hmm. and um, Brett Brett Ratner and um, uh, David Gerson, and uh, they asked me to do it, and I just jumped in like, oh my gosh! And so they liked it, and I was really happy. And I've just been scoring movies since. I did Last Rampage. I did this uh, this movie for my brother Rob, um, uh, The Edge of Fear, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm working on a documentary uh, right now called Haze. Um, it's about the W it's about, um, Nolan Birch who was, who died, uh, in a hazing ritual Mm. for a fraternity. It is, it is a good thing to, you know, if you have a family, you can be doing that and make a good living. Um, you know, obviously Trent Reznor has done it. Oh yeah. I don't know if you, you still keep in touch. One of the guys, one of the guys from Radiohead did it. Uh, but my big my big inspiration into doing it was Peter Gabriel because he did the Last Temptation of Christ. Ah, that's right. And he had come up with so much music that he just like kept going. Like they're like, well, the movie's done, so what are you doing? He's like, I'm still making it. And so they took his tracks and like put the movie out, but he was still just like in the process of recording all this crazy stuff that he had had. So he released that record uh, as well. I can't remember what that was called, but it. Passion was a passion. passion. Yeah. Exactly. So what? So he um, did that, and that was the kind of stuff I was into. And I, I'd always been a fan of like you know, because I, you know, I saw Star Wars like everybody else, and you know, John Williams and stuff. But there was like another angle to doing score, mm. which was just sounds and 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 noises and 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 stuff like that, and drones, and. You know, my favorite movie for just really outside of the box uh, score was 2001 Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. That's with the monolith when the monkeys are 
getting close to looking at the monolith. It's just a, it's a, it's a chorus. It's a choir or, you know, choral of people being told not to sing together and to just, you know, raise their voices up like, you know, animals. And, and they did it. And it was just so amazing. It sounded so absolutely. So I, you know, I, I appreciate the, the themes and the, the amazing, the amazing earworms of like John William, but I really also appreciate like the craziness of like, of, uh, you know, uh, Johannesson Johansson or whatever his name is. I love that guy. I call I call him Johnny Johannesson. <laughs> I don't do soft G's, baby pop. <laughs> what? It's got to, you know, it's got to be a different creative challenge, man. I mean, how long does it take to do compared to a studio album? Does it take longer? It's It's got to be done faster. Um, so... Do you For watch me, do you watch the movie beforehand? Oh fuck yeah. Yeah, I would assume so. Oh my god. I get a copy of the movie and it's in my computer and I've separated everything out in like five seconds. Mm. And then I just sit there and think about it. And I watch it. Some I don't like hearing their temp music um, right. because I have my own take on what should happen. But sometimes you want to listen to like what their what their you know little temp is and or you know, like their not little, but like, you know, their, their instincts, because then it reveals what the director knows about music. And there's all kind of great, you know, advantages to it. But it's just it, the main reason is, is just it's always been in my heart. And, you know, um, and it goes back to 2001, just like, what? They're just right. screaming. These people are just going, you know, into a mic. And it's so effective. Well, it's also horror movies are kind of effective with the music because you, well, they kind of yeah. lead, lead up to, you know, you don't know when that scene's going to happen where someone pops out with a knife, you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, well, some of those are like some of those, you know, some of that's, you know, actual sound effects. And, right. You know, but like, I, I, I just, I just think it's the coolest thing in the world. You got a big screen and you, you just think about it and, it's all yours, you know, and then you kind of work on it for a couple of weeks and you send it in and you're really hoping they dig it. And this is great, please. This one scene, just make sure there's a certain amount of sadness here. And this, you know, and it's just, it's like, it's, it was a whole different audience. Like when I walked, um, dark crimes into, uh, Brett Ratner's office and I'm like, okay, it was, and he's like, all right, let's see what this guy's doing. You know, like, holy shit. I'm in this, you know, I'm in, you know, I'm in the chairman of the board's room. You know, his name is right. Frank Sinatra. I'm in his actual office and they have a screening room in there. And it's his old office from, you know, from from his reprise days, which is funny because I was signed to reprise. But um, and, you know, there's Brett Ratner and all these, all these really intense looking, you know, people and they're all nervous and they're staring at me like, you've been working on this for six weeks. What is happening? <laughs> you know, they're all European and I'm like, well, I'm ready. Let's go. And me and Tobias uh, in-house sat there and and press play. And Brett Ratner turns around and he goes, this is fucking awesome. You did a great job. Now, I want more polls here. I want more. And it was just like, holy fuck. This is a whole level of creativity that I wasn't aware of. And, well, you have the you have the resume, I'm, man. You have the resume. 
So they should see yeah, that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I just, I love, get, I mean, I've met this guy, Brian Skiba, and we're working on this movie uh, called uh, Earn's Garden, uh, mm. starring Ryan Phillippe right now. Mm. So there's kinds of stuff. I have to keep my uh, eyes out for those, those films. Okay. Well, listen, thank you so much, man, for talking about the, the, the reissue. And, you got uh, it. And all the best, man. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Richard. Peace. Thanks, Richard, for being on the Goldmine Magazine podcast. This is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine, signing off. Don't forget to pick up the latest issue at Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. And also go to goldminemag.com, get a percentage off of subscription price, and check out exclusive content. We'll talk to you next podcast. Take care.